Look with me, please, in Jude's epistle. Jude, verse 17, is where we will pick up our reading this evening. And we began this portion on last week from verse 17 forward. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Last week, we began our study of the sixth division, which I mentioned a moment ago, within the epistle of Jude, which consists of verses 17 through 23, which we have just read. Although Jude's epistle is very brief, I believe we've already seen the truth that it does not lack in importance concerning its content. Uh, This is a very brief epistle, only consisting of 25 verses, of course, However, the truth that is within it is, is significant, and, and it's important that we recognize that. And Jude's epistle, as we have seen, is filled with warnings, with woes, with exhortations, and they're ones which we must not ignore. Jude began his final exhortation, really the true exhortation of the epistle, with a reminder here in verses 17 through 19. He said, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. Jude reminds the reader that they are not to be surprised by the growing wickedness which surrounded them. But they were, as believers, to be prepared to face such wickedness as they were to contend for the faith. However, as we've seen in previous studies early on in this study of the epistle of Jude... If one is going to contend for the faith, one must first be rooted and grounded in the faith. Jude wrote again in verse 17, But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two of the apostles of which Jude referenced were Simon Peter and, of course, Paul. In 2 Peter 3, 1 through 4, we studied or reviewed that on last week. And then 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3, we find these examples. We must be grounded in the faith lest we too be deceived. And verse 18, uh, Jude goes on to say, How that they told you, the apostles before told you, there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These men would scoff at the faith while chasing after their own ungodly desires. And Jude is warning of them, and, he, and he's telling us again, or the reader including us, he is saying to those of those to whom he had written this, and as well all of those to whom the faith has been given, delivered us as well, he is saying, do not be surprised at the ungodliness of men and at the increasing ungodliness of men, or the increasing number of ungodly men. Do not let that catch you by surprise apostles, how they're going to mock, they're going to scoff at the faith in which you stand, and they are going to chase after their own ungodliness. 
Verse 19, these be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. Jude warned by way of this reminder that there are those who will intentionally divide the body of Christ by their wicked and manipulative ways. That's what he is saying here. He's saying these be they who separate themselves. So their attempt, it's not, he's not saying, oh, they separate themselves just from you. But these are those of verse 4 who are ungodly men turning the grace of God into lasciviousness, turning the grace of God into a license to sin, perverting God's grace. And they are even those which were among the church who are intentionally bringing, are breeding division within the church by their false teaching. And Jude is saying they are sensual, though, having not spirit. Peter spoke to this, of course, a very parallel passage, if you recall, concerning those who would promise and preach, if you will, this liberty and freedom while they themselves were in bondage to sin. And they would turn the grace of God into this perverseness of God has, has given you this grace, therefore just, you know, just ask for forgiveness and it's all going to be okay and, and to not contend with the truth of sin or, or not stand in the truth of the faith. These warnings from Jude, from Peter and Paul, are warnings which not only inform us, but are also calls to, re- to us to remain aware and diligent in the faith. Again, verse 3, Jude said, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Several weeks ago, during our study of this epistle, I provided a general outline of the epistle to you, which included seven major divisions within Jude's epistle. First was Jude's greeting in verses 1 and 2. Jude's purpose, number two, verses three and four. Jude's warnings, verses five through seven. Jude's woe, verses eight through 13. Jude's reminder, verses 14 through 16. Jude's exhortation, number six, which is verses 17 through 23, where we are this evening and where we began last week. And then seventh and last is Jude's doxology in verses 24 and 25. Now, last week we began the sixth division of Jude's exhortation in which Jude began the exhortation with a charge for the reader to remember as we just considered. Remember what? Remember, the apostles have already taught you. The prophets have spoken. The apostles have spoken. And they warned you that there would be those who would, who would deceive. There would be those who would scoff and mock the faith as we saw a moment ago. And he says, Beloved, in verse 7, But beloved, remember ye. So again, in these verses, 17 through 19 specifically, Jude reminds the reader of these warnings of the apostles concerning these wicked men who pervert the grace of God and deceive many people. Again, why are we surprised at this? Why do we act like we're shocked at this? Why do we think that, that this should not be in the sense of like it, it goes against what, what we believe should be? Now, it's not what should be in terms of man responding to God in a proper manner. Of course not. But this is how it's going to be. And Scripture tells us this. It's very clearly taught in multiple places concerning this matter. It's important that we recognize the significance of this sixth division, verses 17 through 23, Jude's exhortation. And if you consider the seven divisions within this epistle, here's what you notice. And I pointed these out again to remind you of this and to help emphasize this truth. Consider this for a moment. The bulk of Jude's writing consists of the description, the warning, the examples, the woes, and the reminders of the wicked men which he identified in verse 4. The bulk, the main body of this letter is about those people. That's what we've been studying for the last several weeks and, and even months now. We've, been, we've seen how that from verse 3 up to verse 3, he gives an introduction, and then he says, I wanted to write concerning this, but it's needful that I write 
that you earnestly contend for the faith. And then verse 4 tells us why. Because there are these ungodly men that pervert the grace of God. And from that point forward, what is Jude doing up until verse 17? He is saying, oh, here's an example of these men. Here's illustrations about these men. Here's the description of these men. And he's telling, revealing who they are and what they do. And so the bulk of the letter consists of that. Again, in verse 3, he says, It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you. You should earnestly contend for the faith. So in that sense, he is still explaining something. This right here is not the exhortation itself, though you could see it somewhat as an exhortation because he's saying it was needful for me to write unto you that you should do this. But he's explaining why he's writing the letter and why he is writing it in this fashion. And then the reason for that solidified in verse 4 because of these ungodly men. Here's here's why it's so necessary that I do so. So as we continue our study of this passage, we will discover the importance of this portion of the text in relation to the exhortation which Jude provides. Notice Jude exhorts the reader here. This is, verses 17 to 23, is the exhortation of Jude in the epistle. He says in verse 20, But ye beloved. Now Jude only used the term beloved three times in this epistle. He uses this term in verse 3, in verse 17, and then in verse 20. And in each use, Jude is directly addressing the reader concerning themselves, in contrast to speaking to them concerning the wicked and ungodly of which he warned. For instance, in verse 3, Jude addressed the beloved concerning the purpose for which he has written to them, that you contend for the faith. In verse 17, Jude addressed the beloved to remind them to maintain the proper perspective concerning the wicked men, of which he had warned them. He wasn't writing about them, and he's telling them to, to have the proper perspective. Again, look at what he says, but beloved, remember ye, the, in verse 17, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is saying, beloved, have the proper perspective concerning these wicked men. You've already been warned of them, so don't, ca- don't let them catch you off guard. Don't be surprised at this. Then in verse 20, Jude addressed the beloved to exhort them to continue in the faith of which he had written in verse 3. Jude intentionally used the term beloved when addressing those to whom he wrote this epistle. And each time he uses the term, it was drawing the attention of the reader back to the purpose for which he had written the epistle as he declared in verse 3. So he says, beloved, that you might earnestly contend for the faith, remember? But then he says, beloved, Don't be surprised at these men who are going to be this way. And now he says, beloved, in our text this evening, he says, beloved, in verse 20, you are to build yourselves up on your most holy faith. You are to continue in this faith. Verse 20 says, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. All the second person personal pronouns, ye, yourselves, and your, used by Jude in this verse, are plural in number. Let's go back to verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves, on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now, why is it important that all of these second-person personal pronouns are plural in number? Well, plural in number, of course, means speaking not of one individual, but at least Jude is speaking to this group or to individuals within a collective group. In other words, Jude is exhorting each of these to collectively build each other up. So Jude is not simply saying hey, you know, you, you, need, you need to personally just contend for the faith and you need to edify, build yourself up. No, he's saying we ought to build each other up as the body of Christ. We are to collectively contend for the faith as the body of Christ. Must we do this individually? Well, of course. 
But it's, we, again, we are, not, we are not just individuals sent out. We are a collective body of believers that are brought together to, be edif- to edify one another, to strengthen, to comfort, to encourage. And, and comfort, by the way, is not just mean pat on the back and console. Comfort is to fortify. We are to, we are to strengthen one another in the faith. And so we must recognize that. Such exhortation for believers to edify one another is also found in Paul's epistles. Paul wrote in Colossians 2, 5 through 8, For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Then in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8 through 11, Paul wrote, But let us, who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Now, the verb building, notice he says here in verse 20, building up yourselves on your most holy faith. The verb building is in the present tense, and here's what that means. It portrays an action in process or a state of being in which there is no assessment of the action's completion. So when he says building up, he's not saying y'all need to start doing this. He's saying continue in that which is being accomplished in you. Continue edifying. Continue building up. The verb abounding used by Paul in Colossians 2.7, which I referenced a moment ago, whenever he says abounding therein with thanksgiving, is also in the present tense, meaning it as well speaks to an action already in process, or a state of being in which there is no assessment of the action's completion. So in other words, he's not saying you edify yourself up to a point, you build yourself up up to a point, you you, you encourage and strengthen and correct and rebuke and exhort each other up to a certain point. No, it's something we are already doing as a body, and it's something that must continue to be done, abounding therein and continuing in. So the importance of the use of the present tense verbs in both passages of Scripture, which we have read, is understood by the fact that these actions are already in motion by the subjects and that they are actions which are expected to be continued without any completion. It's something that is ongoing, continuing to be. So in other words, Jude is not attempting to stimulate the reader to do something they were not doing, but rather is exhorting or urging the reader to continue to do that which they were already doing. Within this portion of his epistle, Jude not only reminds and exhorts the believer concerning the faith, but also identifies the faith as being that which is personal to the reader. Within this context, Jude is urging the believer to continue to build up, edify one another on this most holy faith of which he referenced in verse 3, and that they were to view this faith personally as it was personal to each of them while belonging to all of them. Now, look, that's important. I was not born again by the faith of the church. It's the faith of Christ which is given to me, his faithfulness and and belief, faith given to me by God to believe 
God has brought me to belief. And I was born again. This was personal between God and me. It wasn't something collectively among the whole body. But the faith in which I now stand because of the faith I have been given and believe to believe God and to, to receive Christ, it does not belong only to me. It is collectively the churches because the body of Christ, the faith is once delivered unto the saints, unto all the saints. But yet this faith is also very personal. So how, how do we reconcile this? How do we understand this? Well, look at verse 3 in relation to verse 20. Jude says, earnestly contend for the faith, not a faith. Again, that's a, that is, the is the only definite article that there is. A and an are indefinite articles. The is the definite article. Again, to explain the difference, if I said to you, oh, you know, hey, go out to a car and grab a jacket for me, right? A car? Well, then the question is, which car? If I say go to the car, you immediately understand I'm talking about a specific car, and that would imply my car, right? And so the point being, when he says, he doesn't say, oh, earnestly contend for your faith, earnestly contend for, a, no, it's the faith, the, the absolute one and only, all that which pertains to, uh, to the truth of Christ and Christianity as taught with God. It's the truth and the teachings of God's word, the doctrines. He says, earnestly contend. And we, agone, again, is the word which that is derived from. And there's an agony involved in this too. And he's saying that we are to engage in the faith, the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. It's unchanging. The faith does not change. And so he's saying it was once and for all delivered unto the saints. But then look at verse 20. Building up yourselves on your most holy faith. Now he's speaking again collectively into two collectively as a body because he's saying it's plural here yourselves is plural and so he's saying it's not saying just to one of you it's saying to of you this faith belongs to each of you but it is but it actually is the faith which belongs to all the saints as has been delivered once and for all to the believers by god and so it is not our truth it is god's truth but god's truth becomes truth to us we recognize it to be the truth that it is, and it's personal to us, and that's what he's saying. So you're building yourselves up on your most holy faith. It's interesting that Jude says the faith, then he says your faith. But notice he does not say your faith preceding the faith. The only faith that I have is because there is the faith. That's the only way I can have faith, right? It's because of the faith, the truth of Scripture, what God has handed down. So Jude now writes to the beloved, personalizing this faith, which was delivered and entrusted to all those who are the beloved. Verse 20, latter part, praying in the Holy Ghost. Now he's talking about edifying one another here, of course, building yourselves up, and as Jude exhorted, yet we must recognize that this is not accomplished by the mere efforts of our flesh, but is performed and perfected by the Holy Spirit working through us. Edification is not simply encouraging one another, but it is building each other up in the faith what are we building each other up in the faith what are we encouraging each other in the faith what are we fortifying each other in the faith how are we ministering to, to each other because and in, in the faith and when we understand this we recognize that such a spiritual task can only be accomplished by the power of the holy spirit living within us again edification 
is building up. And how does that take place? The manner in which God has gifted every individual believer. We are all gifted differently. I was on the phone call with mine for probably over an hour today. We do this often. He said, I have a quick question for you. He said, I'll just be like a five minutes. Well, we end up talking an hour. And um, and as we're talking and discussing and working through, I was again talking about edification. We were talking about the body theology, how God structured the body, the importance of this, recognizing this, and again, how that how the edification, it, it takes place as we are submitted to the Spirit of God who is then individually within us using the gift in which we have been gifted to strengthen and edify other believers. And that takes place corporately among the within and among the body of Christ as, as a body of believers. And so we are strengthened, we are encouraged, we are instructed, we are corrected, we are rebuked, an exhortation takes place, and it takes place as the Spirit of God uses the gift that we have primarily been gifted with. And I do believe there are fragments of the other gifts as well within all of us, but yet we are primarily gifted with one gift as an as individual believer, I believe. And I believe Scripture supports that, and so or teaches that. And so we understand then that God uses that gift. Now, it's not for me to try to attempt to use that gift. It's for me to acknowledge the opportunities that are before me and then rest in the Spirit of God to minister through me that gift to encourage, strengthen, and edify one another. So again, when we look at the gift of the Spirit, the meaning when I say gifts, I'm talking about gifted us individually as the body of Christ with spiritual gifts or a spiritual gift primarily. When we consider that, remember Paul teaches us in his epistles that that is the primary means by which the Spirit of God is manifesting or demonstrating grace through our lives. That is the primary means. Again, so for instance, while there are those who within the body of Christ who absolutely just love to go and, and minister to others in, in respect of, of caregiving and and loving them in a, in a fashion of caring for them and caregiving to them, then, but those same people would probably most likely not only be fearful, but they would be filled with anxiety and angst, and they would probably dread the thought that they had to get up and teach five people because it would cause them tremendous stress and fear. Why? Because that's not how God has gifted them. At the same fashion, where you are gifted is where you thrive and where you find absolute fulfillment and joy and contentment in terms of service and ministry because that is the means by which God is using you to manifest his grace through your life. And so these things are important for us to recognize and understand. And so we must recognize that such a task is not left to our mere physical fleshly efforts. When he says praying in the Holy Ghost, why is that important? Because we are in the Spirit of God who has gifted us to minister by build up through us one another. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So I would say after finishing our example 20 this evening, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. When he says building up yourselves, he's not saying you individually are just building yourselves up. No, we are building each other up as a body, it, praying in the Holy Ghost. Why? Because we must rest on his spirit working in and through us. So I say to you tonight, as did Jude, let us, as 
charged all believers, continue to build each other up. Let us continue to edify one another and increase in that by the power of the Spirit of God who lives within us. Let us pray together and for one another, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, that we continue in this most holy faith which has been handed down to us collectively. And may we individually and collectively be faithful stewards of the faith which God has given us. And may we, as stewards, we cannot bring someone to faith, but we can declare the faith to them. Let me say it to you like this. You cannot bring someone to the faith, but you can take the faith to You can bring them to belief, but you can declare the truth to them. But you yourself as well must be rooted and grounded. And we are built up in the faith. So he says, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. But it's interesting, isn't it? That now he says your most holy faith collectively still, but yet it is the faith of which he speaks. But it it is also now personal to us. The faith is personal. Not private, but personal. So let us as Jude said, continue to build each other up, edify one another by the power of the Holy Spirit of God who lives within us. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for the opportunity.